Well, welcome back to Anecdotal Notes. Uh, I'm here with uh, my co-host Steve Hyatt. Hello. And I'm Pat Aiken. And this week we're delving into the mysterious world of unidentified flying objects. And uh, we don't have any particular cases of UFOs to discuss. Uh, What I thought I would do with Pat today is kind of get into a general discussion of what do we really consider as the real possibility of Earth being visited by aliens from other civilizations in the universe, whether it's currently going on now or has in the past or has in the ancient past, as some people believe, and uh, just what is what we think the real possibility is. I mean, we know what science tells us, that because of the distances involved, that Aliens are very unlikely if they if they do exist. We have no proof that they that there are any other alien civilizations out there. That the distances are so great that they would not be able to reach us anyway, because due to the limits of the laws of physics as we know them, the time it would take to get from there wherever their civilization is to us would be too long, practically. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, that may be, that may not be. And that's uh, one of the things that we're, that we're going to discuss today is, um, is even if the scientists are correct and we're not able to travel faster than the speed of light, 186 million miles a second or thousand or, or whatever it is, that is it really impossible even given those constraints? Because one of the things I wondered is what actually, let's let's say just for the sake of argument that we are being visited, it may happen very rarely, not nearly as often as as the media and YouTube would, would have us believe. Right. But let's say it does happen occasionally. And uh, what is really going on? What is the nature of, of those visits? Um, are they really interplanetary travelers? Are they really having to rely on some sort of science that we don't know about to get here? Or are they under the same constraints of the laws of physics as we understand them currently, but they have found some other way that we didn't think about? For instance, um, one of the things that I've been thinking about is maybe some of these spaceships and their occupants have literally been in space traveling for tens of thousands of years. Mm-hmm. So let's say um, they let's say they're able to travel a certain percentage of the speed of light with their craft, and they're coming from a civilization that's 5,000 light years away. Let's say let's say it takes them 10,000. Let's say they can go half the speed of light. So let's say it takes them 10,000 years to get anywhere. What? would prevent a civilization thousands and thousands and untold thousands of years more advanced than we are technologically to produce a spaceship that could travel for 10,000 years Hmm. to to be occupied by beings that may be see one of the things that that fascinates me is that you know flying saucer lands something steps off of it we always assume that that's an alien from another civilization somewhere 
But what we're talking about engineering that advance, it may not be, it may actually be a creature that was bioengineered for space travel that may bear no resemblance whatsoever to whatever sent it. A biological probe. A biological probe. A, a living, you know, biological entity that was essentially engineered for space travel. Well, you know, you say that is interesting because uh, an incident, uh, the Pascagoula, Mississippi incident in 1973 mm -hmm. springs immediately to mind because yeah. the two gentlemen that were, uh, I don't know, they were abducted. Mm -hmm. uh, they described the uh, abductors uh -huh. as being robotic. Mm -hmm. They didn't attribute any kind of, uh, you know, being a sentience in the sense that we would describe sentience with a two, uh, as a, you know with another person in our presence. More yeah. that this was a machine, mm -hmm. that it came, it accosted them, it abducted them, mm -hmm. took it aboard the ship. The foot, they, I think they described it as kind of a football-shaped ship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Examined them. Mm -hmm. Uh, did whatever you know the examination entailed, then basically floated them back out, sat them back down on the uh, bank of the Pascagoula River, and yeah. hauled. Uh, yeah, and it's like uh, there's been reports of not only creatures that kind of acted robotic, but things that, that sort of looked like robots. Uh, on YouTube, there is a channel that I'm a really big fan of, and the name of the channel is William DeFalco. W I L L I A M. D-E-F-A-L-C-O, all one word, and uh, he is a guy that has a series, uh, video series going on there for quite a while, and, and he reviews a lot of classic cases of not only UFOs and aliens, but cryptids and monsters and uh, conspiracy theories and all, and all sorts of things. And he had a show recently about uh, an old case, I guess from the 1960s, that was called The Monoliths Encounter. Mm -hmm. And what that was, was I think somewhere out west, I don't remember the exact detail, guy was driving along in the desert, and it was kind of getting late in the day, the sun was setting, and he happens to look up in his windshield, and up in the sky, for all the world, looks like a giant black monolith, mm -hmm. marble-type monolith, like laying on its side, but literally floating in the air, right. way up with a few kind of lights on the corners and things like that. And... At first, he looked at it, and he observed it for a couple of minutes, and then it sped off, and then he just kind of went his way. I think it gave him a little bit of car trouble. It may have stalled his car out, but once it left, he cranked his car back up and it headed out. Uh, later on, after he started having some bad dreams and all, he went into one of these hypnotic regression kind of deals and come to find out that he had actually been taken aboard that craft, and he described three beings on the inside of that craft is basically when he said when he when he was abducted he came to it was like kind of a large very dark shadowy room that they were in and there were three things in there that he originally thought were creatures but later he came to the conclusion that there was some kind of robotic thing mm -hmm. a kind of a large black looking kind of tombstone thing that may have been like 10 or 15 feet tall mm -hmm. that had one kind of arm looking thing uh, mechanical arm coming out the center of it Right. And then there were two smaller creatures. One was white and has some very angular shapes to it. It had something that kind of uh, suggested of a head, but it didn't move. And it had like suggestions of the shapes where an arm might have been. 
And then there was a smaller reddish creature that was kind of like a little cylindrical shape, but it also had like one little single arm coming out of it. And he, they seemed to be communi communicating either electronically or semi-telepathically or something like right. that. Not that he like received a direct message from them, but he could like sense emotion or intent or something on the part of these, these whatever they were. Right. And he got the sense that the big black one was just kind of like a guardian to, to, to make sure that everything didn't get out of hand. And then the white one was kind of the, the leader. And then the red one was sort of like this little thing that was kind of running around and it was afraid of him. He got a lot of emotion of fear from this little thing, and sometimes it would go out and look at him, and then it would come and go behind the white one and hide. And mm -hmm. It was a very strange encounter. But um, the, I had always wondered about, when you start talking about that level of engineering and that level of advancement of science, that of how you could get a, like if, if you, if, a civilization actually developed a creature that could survive in space on a ship for literally thousands of years. Maybe it was engineered not to have a concept of time, right? Or you know, to 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 you know suffer the, the rigors of isolation, which you know our astronauts do because you, know, you, you cube up something in a spaceship, you know, for a year and they start going crazy, mm -hmm. you know, and. Um, all the different descriptions that they have of the creatures of ones that are living creatures versus ones that are semi-robotic versus ones that are obviously mechanical. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just the the possibilities kind of boggle the mind. I mean, and that's just assuming that our science is correct. Right. That. You know, there are limitations in space travel. We'll never travel faster than the speed of light. The warp drive thing in Star Trek is just fantasy. It'll never happen, according to Einstein and some other folks. But um, also to that is, what do you think, and Pat, I'm going to throw this as a question to you. Okay. Uh, it's always been debated, debated uh, in the UFO world on a process that has always been referred to as disclosure mm -hmm. and there is a disclosure movement which means that people who are petitioning the government to just go ahead and admit that aliens are here and they're real they're visiting they're, they're, they're ripping the anuses out of our cattle and whatever else right. they're doing and, and apparently out of us out of us it yeah depending upon who you talk to some, so yeah yeah, yeah. Todd C's case but um what do you think would would what impact on society do you really think that, let's say that the safest scenario, let's say we receive a signal from someplace out there. Right. Our scientists actually get up the nerve to come out and tell us that, you know, yep, this is, we got us a civilization out there and we picked up a signal. Well, honest opinion, okay. Mm -hmm. And with uh, an addendum and a caveat attached to the end. Uh -huh. Okay, if, if we, were suddenly, without any preparation, if you were to suddenly make an announcement, and, and here's the thing that has to be uh, assumed in the announcement, that it's by some agency of government uh -huh. that is so credible uh -huh. 
that they wouldn't be questioned. Yeah. Okay, that's the first thing. It has to, the well, announcement. I guess, I guess that, that scenario is kind of sunk right there. Now. Right, it is <laughs> at this current point in time, yes. But if there was, say, uh, a coalition of nations, mm. say, the, let's say the big three right now, let's say the United States, Russia, and China, uh-huh. they came together in a conference mm. and they said, okay, not only the United States, but Russia, Communist China, mm. all of us have received a message, and you know, from this star in the Orion Belt mm. that has been decoded, and it says that we're on the way. Mm. You know, here's our ETA. You know, we're gonna get there. Please make potato salad. You know, we, we're, we're coming to visit, guy. You know, we're on the way. Yeah. I think you would see probably over, let's, let's use a, a year. Let's use a timeline of a year from the announcement. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> the first week or two is going to be stunned shop. You know, you're going to have a lot of people on the Internet and jumping up and down, the UFO people saying, I told you so. Mm-hmm. But... The thing you have to understand about 95% of the people, 95% of the people don't want to be bothered with anything but what's going on in their myopic little world. This will be considered a great intrusion Mm -hmm. into the peace and harmony of my life. Mm -hmm. Okay? And I think what you would see is the pell-mell deconstruction Uh of most all of the institutions of... uh, religious, governmental, because if if this existed, not, you know, the, the hardcore people say in churches, they've already thought about this, mm-hmm. so I don't know if it would affect their faith. But say Joe Atheist out there. Mm-hmm. Joe Atheist could go one or two ways. He's either going to, you know, jump up and down, build a sign, we welcome you space brothers, yeah. or, you know, he's going to b- build a bunker. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be that level of diversity. It's, but, but I think that the, the, the way our lives have been led up until the point of the uh, announcement yeah. would be swept away. Yeah. And I honestly think that, you know, people would absolutely, honestly lose faith in any kind of governance. Yeah. That'd be immediately. Yeah. Uh, you know... I kind of have, have a little bit different take on it. Well, good. What's um, your take? Yeah. Uh, I guess it would depend on what we would... A lot depends on what we consider their intent. I mean, are they coming with a fleet of the, the Klingon battle cruisers, or are they coming with, with one shiny disc and three guys on with a gift basket? Right. Um, but uh, It's the Klaatu versus the Klingon. Uh, basically, the scenario, yeah. 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 yeah are, they, are they Vulcans or Klingons coming? I mean, that makes a That makes a, a world of difference. Yeah. Um, I was thinking just not only if, even if um, they said they were coming, let's say we got, even if they got a signal that we couldn't decode, but we could at least figure out that it was artificially sent. Right. Which has tremendous implications on its own. Even if they didn't come here. But let's say on, on the scenario that they were on their way. Uh, I would think that as far as religious institutions, I don't think there would be a whole lot of change. The reason being is I think that most of of 
the religious um, theologies, with maybe the exception of some fringe Protestant fundamentalists, right. um, have long since accepted the possibility of, of life in other places of the universe. So the, the revelation of that probably wouldn't affect them a great deal. Right, the hardcore group. The, yeah, the, hard, the hardcore groups. And uh, the ones who were wishy-washy were wishy-washy anyway. Right. Um, what I think would happen would be the destruction of our scientific institutions. Yes, I agree. Yeah. The reason being is that suddenly, you know, we have a group of people in our society, our scientists, who have always believed that they were the best and the brightest and they were, mm-hmm. they either had all the answers or they were going to be the ones who were going to find all the answers. And suddenly, now we've got some new guys in the neighborhood who, well, they're on the way here, so they obviously know a hell of a lot more than we ever thought about knowing. Right. Well, we, we actually agree. Yeah. I, it's just a matter of semantic with the word. Yeah, because right. I use government, but perhaps a better word choice would have been anyone who's in any kind of authority. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because then, because it, it, when you made that statement, I was thinking along the lines of I agreed with it, but along the lines of, of lose, losing the government authority because here's something that the government obviously is not going to be able to protect us against. So it's like, I mean, when they show up here, they're pretty much going to have their way with us, whatever that whatever that way happens to be. And we're probably not going to be able to do a whole lot about it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, the government's going to come up and say, well, you should do this, and you should do that, you should, dude, I mean, they're gonna, whatever's going to happen is going to happen, and you're not going to do anything about it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I think what's going to happen is that the scientific institutions and, and faith in science is going to take a huge hit here on Earth. Because what's going to happen is all these guys who, you know, the Carl Sagan's and mm-hmm. Tyson, whatever his name is, those guys aren't going to be the smartest kids in the block anymore. It's going At to be all. whoever's going to come in the spaceships. That's right. A lot of, a large section of our society is going to believe that, oh, push those guys aside. These folks that are coming in the flying saucers, they're going to have all the answers. They're going to have the cure for cancer. They're going, to have, right. they're going to have all the answers for, for all of humankind's right. miseries. So our conventional earth science and all of our Einsteins and whoever's, they're literally going to get pushed to the side because yes. these folks that are coming, they're so more advanced than you that what you say won't even matter anymore. And you know what? Let's, let's use history as a guidestone in this, mm-hmm. in that if, if we looked at the Inca or the Aztec cultures, yeah. essentially the scenario that you just spelled out mm-hmm. happened in both of those cultures. Mm-hmm. When the uh, conquistadors, or as the English say, the conquistadors, yeah. arrived in the New World, uh-huh. and they displayed all of this superior technology. Mm-hmm. Well, everything that the local priest, shaman, whatever, had been saying before and guided mm-hmm. within a decade, yeah. they essentially were out of business. They they were the the hardcore people. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about, they yeah. still had those people, but all of the youngsters flocked to the Spanish. Yeah. And, you know, it was just assumed now mm-hmm. that these people are our masters. Yeah. And, yes, we have historical human behavioral precedent for this. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you know, let's, let's use worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. Let's say a belligerent Clingons. intergalactic, yeah. right, you know, power. Uh-huh shows up. Okay, well first, I, there are a lot of delusions that are created like by Hollywood. Oh yeah. And one is that we're going to fight these guys off with F-16s yeah. and win. Yeah. 
Yeah, and germs, and we're going to win. And we're going to win. Okay, yeah. well, I'm, I hate to break it to you, yeah. but, you know, not going to happen. If these guys show up in, in orbit, yeah. uh, there's a good chance that, you know, you're going to be in penal colony 2017 or whatever yeah. is the designation yeah. in your... your all they have to do is orbit our planet out of range of our satellites and drop weapons of mass destruction on us city That's after it. city after city until we completely submit before they even have to land or we even set eyes on them. That's right. I mean, yeah. they're not... They, they, you know, if you're dealing with someone who has a cloaking shield, yeah. If you're dealing with or someone, even if they don't. I mean, they, even they, if we they, can see right. them coming a million miles away, it there's not a damn thing we can do there's about it. Nothing we can do about it. Yeah. So you know, I I'm not telling you that now's the time to go build a bunker. Yeah. Okay. But what I'm saying is, is don't delude yourself in dealing with these people mm. or creatures or however yeah. you want to refer to the aliens. Yeah. That they're necessarily going to be benevolent space brothers. You yeah. know, all that stuff from the 50s. Oh, yeah. You know, that was lots of wishful thinking. And pe- people were scared of nuclear war. And yeah. these people are going to come from space and they're going to save us. You know, not. Yeah. it's not how it works in, in yeah. reality. Okay? Yeah. yeah. We might luck out. Okay, and they may show up and be uh, beneficent. Yeah. But you know, always this beneficence is—I've always found that this like a two-edged sword. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, we're being beneficent. You remember there was an episode of uh, Twilight Zone where these people arrived and they were giving us all these advances and they're taking people back to their planet like tourists to serve man. So yeah, they're trading off. They're giving us all sorts of advances, but at the same time, they're they're eating us. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, one further in this, I have no substantive evidence that this is true, but since the 50s, the rumors in the UFO world have been that yes, we've already made contact with these people. In fact, they had a meeting with one of the U.S. presidents, Eisenhower was yeah, named. Truman or well, Truman started it, but then Eisenhower took over, yeah. and they struck a deal. Yeah. And the deal was that, yes, we are going to advise you, and we're going to help you with technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, in return, however, we're going to do experiments on your citizens, mm-hmm. your animals, mm-hmm. and we're essentially you know, going to make your whole planet into our big scientific laboratory. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's one rumor that's out there. And it is, in fact, just a rumor. I have nothing to substantiate it. I don't know. You know, you hear so many stories, and in in a way they're a lot like Bigfoot stories, in that some ring true. Mm -hmm. Others are obviously a person that's delusional. Others are people who are having fun and goofing. But, you know... I am not, uh, um, I am a trained anthropologist in that I have done sufficient coursework mm-hmm. in cultural anthropology mm-hmm. to say that I could have possessed a, a, a bachelor's, okay? Mm-hmm. And I know enough about how to complete coursework as an anthropologist. In, in cultural anthropology, that's where you go and you observe and understand the the workings of another person's society. That's the very sketchy thumbnail sort of... Essentially, yeah. Essentially. Lots of the incidents, encounters, and things that we read about, 
do actually fall into that sort of uh, activity. Yeah. They're here. They're they're examining us. Yeah, they're they're taking samples. Samples. Or, they're yeah. looking at us. Yeah. But you know, they're also in, in the majority of those cases, they're putting the person back down. Yeah. On the ground. Yeah. They're leaving them well, relatively yeah. unharmed. Yeah. I think a lot of uh, people who have been abducted would argue that you know they have suffered for years through mm. PTSD and different yeah. things. Nightmares. Nightmares. Various physical ailments. But they didn't just outright you know vivisect you or or kill you. Yeah. You know they put you back. Yeah. Uh, but then you hear other stories where people are abducted. And they're taking aboard a ship, and they find that basically the ship is full of human body parts. Mm. You know, I've heard those stories yeah. that they're just essentially down here and they're collecting us. Mm. And then there's the really, um, I wouldn't say they're odd, because there's a whole like genre of these abduction stories that involve reptilian or mm. reptoid people. Mm. Now, the reptoids seem to want to get it on with us. At least most of the stories I've heard, yeah. it, it involves impregnating our women, yeah. and then taking the hybrid baby mm-hmm. back with them yeah. and putting the person, you know, back down on the ground. Yeah. I must, I must have to admit, as an aside, it's one of the things I miss about the 50s is the Nordics. The Nordics, yeah, you never hear about the Nordics no. anymore. I mean, they had their they had their moments of glory in the 50s, and then by about 60, 61, you didn't hear Nordics anymore. Right. I guess Billy Billy Meyer tried, but <laughs> well, I mean, and you know, but here's the thing: all of the gray stories. Mm-hmm. I before Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the movie came out, and yeah. was such a blockbuster. Yeah. I, you know, I lived through, and you did too. Were you here in 1973, or were you in Germany? Uh, I was in Germany then. We came here in '75. Okay. Well, there was a big UFO flap in the southeast in 1973. Mm -hmm. There were, uh, I mean, it was in the fall of that year. Mm -hmm. And I remember literally started like at the end of August and went through Christmas or something. But it was every single day. At night, you know, during the night, you would read the next day a report of UFOs at this place in Georgia, Uh that place. There was incidents like in Orchard Hill here. Mm You know, with the the, the falling, uh, well, he he described it as brimstone, short of Callum, who was the person who saw it. Yeah. But I talked with another person who was a friend of one of our mutual friends who's passed away. Mm-hmm. He was across the road, and he described it. He said it fell like a leaf, uh-huh. finally landed, and set the grass on fire where it landed. Uh-huh. And they brought a, a professor from the experiment, the University of Georgia Experiment Station. Mm-hmm over there, and I think this is a couple of three hours after the thing had touched ground, you know, and it's like 1,500 degrees mm-hmm. or something at the, at the place, and it basically burned itself up and disappeared. But all surrounding that particular incident in Spalding County, you know, they said there were uh, UFOs seen hovering over Sunnyside. Mm-hmm. I remember that from a police officer. Yeah. And all over the place this stuff is happening but I had no idea or concept as a child mm-hmm. of what the occupants might look like yeah okay mm-hmm. we never we never heard uh, of anything getting out of the craft it was they were there 
you know, the Air Force might chase them in South Georgia. You know, it was news articles. Of course, I'm telling you up front. We're, we're talking about my uh, remembrance as a child. But then, I believe it was 77 when Close Encounters came out. I think so, yeah. On the heels of that, every alien was now officially a gray. Yeah. Everything else stopped. You never heard, you know, in South America, they were hairy little dwarves being reported. Yeah. All that ceased. Everything yeah. became this particular kind of alien. Yeah, because okay. and I know from 72 or 73, when the first investigations into the Roswell thing started up right by Stan Friedman and those guys right up until the time of, of the close encounters the only time I think I've ever even heard of, of or, or seen in the history of the UFO phenomena that I've read any description of anything even remotely resembling a gray except for Roswell mm-hmm. until after close encounters right now was was close encounters you know design of their creatures inspired by the Roswell uh, incident books that were just coming out that, that uh, Kevin Randall, all those people were, were writing. Right. Um, and then Spielberg, whoever, just decided, so, oh, okay, well, oh, we'll, okay, we'll just we'll make them, they'll be our aliens. And well, if you, and if you consider from of, a movie a making... I just kind of exploded that. Yeah, well, if you consider from a movie making standpoint, uh-huh. the little gray alien would be a much easier effect to achieve yeah. than some of the others they've described. Yeah. But, you know, you go back, say, in West Virginia, the Flatwoods monster incident. Yeah. Okay? This is not, this is a mechanical thing. Yeah. Again, you know, you yeah. we were talking about Pascagoula. Or Pascagoula, when the guy described it as giant gray carrots. Right. Or something like that, you know. Yeah. Or, I mean, you, you know. Or the monoliths encounter or all these others were, you know, like the French, uh, and I think in the late 50s, there was a huge UFO flap in France. Mm-hmm. Where there was reports of some of landings, they were describing, you know, things that for all the world, if if you're a, a, a Flintstones cartoon fan like I was back in the day, you remember he had a little guy named Kazoo. Yeah, the Great Kazoo. Yeah, the Great Kazoo. You just kind of pop in, and this, I mean, they were describing people that looked like three foot tall versions of the Great Kazoo. That's right. Yeah. And suddenly all this... I mean, cape and everything. It just disappeared. Yeah, it just disappeared. So, you know, part of me is torn between um, this popular characterization of an alien being a gray alien versus, you know, is this like a gigantic, you know, did they buy the franchise for Earth and now it's just exclusively gray alien territory? Or, you know... What happened to all these other diverse types of aliens that were supposedly vi- visiting yeah. from, say, 47 yeah. to 77? Yeah. You know, one lady who I'm Facebook friends with, she, however, described her alien encounter yeah. as being a tall, muscular, um, bluish-colored reptilian. Uh-huh. Okay? Yeah. Now, that was... In, and that always lended credibility to her story to me because yeah. he wasn't a gray alien. Yeah. Now... I've heard other people say, well... But then you have a, a, a one, like I remember from the, the William DeFalco channel on YouTube, who's talking about a, a, a thing, I guess that happened back in the 70s or so, uh, an incident that's... that's and, and you'll know where this is going when I first tell you the, the, what it's called, is the giant space brains of Palos Verdes. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And uh, basically, they were described as things that looked like giant brains with big eyeballs in the middle of them, and like little stalk coming out of the top of them, like a little antenna. Right. They were that were actually seen on two different occasions. But I mean, you when you when you see what the gamut right. of aliens that that have been reported. It gives you the impression that either there is a whole hell of a lot going on out in the universe that we don't know about, and they're basically coming to visit the zoo here on Earth, you know, and, and or there's a lot of people out there who have a lot of very vivid imaginations. Well, you know, and here's the thing. <coughs> Are there aliens, or, or is there a phenomenon called UFOs? Yes. Yeah. There is something out there. There's something going on. Yeah. Um, I don't think people look deeply enough into it. Yeah. Now, I think people are not careful to make the distinction between a UFO and an alien spacecraft. That's right. UFO means unidentified flying object. That's all it means. That's right. People see things in the sky they can't identify every day. It could be a glowing duck. It could be a glowing duck. Right. It could be a meteor. It could be a runaway Russian rocket or whatever they say it is. That's right. But a uh, but, uh, UFO does not necessarily mean alien spacecraft. The people think, is, oh, I saw a UFO. They automatically, oh, this guy's trying to tell me he saw aliens. Well, that's not, not no. necessarily the case. Well, and that's right. And I think my, my point is just this, okay? If you look at the concurrent things that have been taking place in our society, one, we, we've seen explosion of population density. And when you have population density, you begin to see heightened levels of mental illness. It, sorry, there have been studies uh, conducted, and you know I, I could actually, not this episode, maybe in a later episode, come back and talk about. It, but there's one that was conducted with rats, and what they did was they essentially started with a, a group of rats, and then they began to incrementally add rats after rats after rats until it was just absolutely chock-a-block full of rats. And what they started to see is towards the end phases when the rats were just absolutely shoulder to shoulder, they began to see all of the manifestations of mental illness and different kind of sexual dysfunction, uh, deviancy, and all of these things started manifesting themselves in this population of rats because they did not have space. So they were put under an artificial level of social pressure. Now, if you look at us now, in urban areas, some places, I mean, it's nothing. I think years ago, I don't, I'm not even certain what the, the population is in Mexico City. It was 20 million yeah. years ago, and it's I'm sure it's much higher. cities on the planet. Right. So, you know, all of these people are together. They're pushing, you know, there's no room, there's no space. Well, how does our science respond to this? Well... If a person is depressed, they give him a pill. They give him Prozac. Mm -hmm. If a person, you know, can't get along with others, they give him a pill. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I don't know. I mean, just if you think about watching television and the various ads that come on for these prescribed medications, mm -hmm. if you look at some of the side effects, mm -hmm. I mean, it is very not uncommon. Yeah for hallucinations and voices and yeah. audio phenomena. Yeah. All I'm saying is this. I think that as we are filling this planet up and we are self-medicating, mm -hmm. that 
some of the issues that are, are happening are simply because of social phenomena, mm-hmm. because people are desperate. People want... Our species is an expanding species. Mm-hmm. We are built to go out into the galaxy, mm-hmm. mentally. Yeah. We're okay. We, You know, people leave... Britain would be happy. They'd spend six months in a leaky boat to go to Australia. Yeah. You know, it might not have been the greatest voyage, but they went out there, which was tantamount at the time, yeah. to send someone to the moon yeah. and make civilization there. They adapted. You know, we're mm-hmm. built for this. And if you put us in a box, then I think that lots of questionable and negative things manifest themselves. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, mm-hmm. I'm not throwing cold water on the fact that people are encountering stuff yeah okay what i'm saying is not like you is not nearly as prevalent as right is is people would have you believe i think that things are happening Mm -hmm. uh i think that we are being prepared Mm -hmm. i think that there are governmental entities and if you know Mm -hmm. the they're working very hard i think to prepare the general population to the notion that there is life on other planets, mm-hmm. that we are not alone, and they're doing this in such a way that they're inserting it into uh, documentaries, mm-hmm. into movies. They, they're they trying to uh, educate before the inevitable happens, mm-hmm. which is at some point somebody's going to make an announcement and say, yeah. you know, hey, guys, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're not Earth anymore. We're planet 27 in the Federation Empire, yeah. you know. We made this deal with these guys. We didn't really have a choice. Yeah. Okay. That may be happening. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just spitballing. Yeah. I will say this about time, though. Um, I think we do possess the technology mm-hmm. that um, is out there. I think that... A lot of the people who have seen things are in Area 51 in the old days. Yeah. Not now. Mm-hmm. All that stuff has been moved. I'm fairly positive that. Yeah. yeah. They, they're doing it, you know, there's a couple of islands out in the Pacific mm-hmm. that... Uh, there are other places out of that region also. There's Area 52. There's... That's Arizona, right. There's all those places, yeah. Well, yes. So, so, but, I mean, as far back as the 60s, people are seeing things out there in the middle of that desert and there's no one around and it's doing incredible maneuvers mm-hmm. you know do, do I think there's a conspiracy I have no idea do I think that our government sits on technology you better believe they do mm-hmm. and you know a lot of people were stunned by the stealth fighters in the first Iraq war mm-hmm. okay we we were ab- absolutely able to go in and uh, Without any kind of, you know, associable radar blip, we were at will doing what we wanted to over the skies of that country. Mm-hmm. So much so that it scared the bejesus mm-hmm. out of the the Soviets and the Chinese. Mm-hmm. Well, they they became they were Russia, but mm-hmm. they had just been the Soviets. So you know, I think technology exists. Mm-hmm. Will we know about it? I probably won't. You won't. In this century, if you're a young person listening to this, hold on. I think in four or five decades, mm-hmm. you may be astounded by what we're capable of doing mm-hmm. as a species. Mm-hmm. Now, all of this, to me, runs back to my notion of time. Mm-hmm. 
okay? You were talking about time travel. Mm -hmm. We, unfortunately, because of the way we perceive our existence, think of time in a linear fashion. Mm -hmm. I'm born, I grow old. And I do it in a series of events along a timeline. Okay, That's how humans look at it. When we look at history as historians, we look back on a timeline. Okay, But that's just our limited perception of time. I think time is better understood in a physics level way. To think of time as being concurrent streams running at the same time. I like to use the example of a 33-speed uh, RPM record. There are tracks that are on the record. And you can put the needle down, and it will run through all of the tracks on the record from a beginning point to an end point. And it will traverse the surface of the record to the end. However, and this is what we're perceiving, okay, as a human being, we're perceiving the tracking of the needle across the songs or the tracks on the album because that's our technological level. However, at the same time, the energy of the universe is spinning, and each of the tracks are also spinning at the same speed and at the same time. Now, if we had the technology and we could lift the needle arm off of the record, we could go back and we could listen to the first track all over again. But we would have to have a way so that we could create time coordinates to go to that point on the record. You have to think of time as being 4D. You're in a room, there's space in the room, and there are coordinates in the space within the room. There's a spot that's exactly one foot. In, in this room, it's got a high ceiling. But there's a spot above us that if we lowered one foot down, six feet to the right, there would be a space in the atmosphere of this room, in the air, that would be a coordinate. Okay, You understand where I'm going with yeah, this? A coordinate system. Yeah. A coordinate system. Time's no different. Right now, as Steve and I are talking, we're talking at this coordinate in time in the year, how we count time, 2018 on January 2nd, I mean uh, June 2nd, okay? If we could understand the coordinates of June 2nd, 1852, and we had a way to lift the needle arm to place this and bend the space-time continuum, we could go to that location, mm -hmm. okay? I know we're out there. We're, I mean, you know, maybe you don't subscribe to string theory or to any of the other theories. This is just my brain working to try to share my notion of what's taking place. So, that being said, if we look at a star at night, at the center of this universe because we assume that the Big Bang happened and that our universe is ever expanding. When you see that light, you're seeing a reflection of light that has traveled to your iris 
over four or five billion years for you to perceive the light. It came in a straight line to your eye. Okay? Therefore, if we had a way where we could step outside of that elapsed time frame, mm -hmm. then we could logically travel to a coordinated point along that timeline. Mm -hmm. Now, this is what is going to be necessary for an alien species mm -hmm. to be able to interact with other alien species over the vastness yeah. on, of, that, on any time or on any kind of reasonable time scale. That's right. That's the only way yeah. that we can logically do this if, I mean, perceiving time like we do. Yeah. I mean, because you can't send a message to a civilization in the center of our galaxy and they get it a million years from now and then they decide to respond and we get it a million years later than that. I mean, both our civilizations could be gone by then. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's nigh on to throwing a, a message in a bottle yeah. and throwing it into the Pacific Ocean in the center and hoping that you're going to get rescued. Yeah. I have heard uh, from some scientists, uh, like uh, one or two folks that have worked on the SETI project, right. which is a search for extraterrestrial intelligence, have said that, that when they were asked, what do you think the most likely form of alien contact would be? And they said, probably because of the vastness of the universe and the time scales involved, as well as the distance, that it will most likely be a stray random signal from a civilization somewhere and the time scale involved would probably be so far back that it would basically be considered a remnant to the universe. It, it would not be any kind of signal that would be actionable in any way. Mm -hmm. It would be like some random transmission that was made by a civilization 50,000 years ago that just now over, over all this time and space reached us, you know, and it's probably not even worth trying to respond to because it would be 50,000 years from now when, when they would get the response. Right. And their civilization may already be extinct by the time we even got their transmission. That's right. So basically their belief was that we will probably receive or detect some type of transmission if it would largely just be a historical artifact. It's just there. There's nothing we can do about it. Well, I mean, you know. From a civilization that may not even exist anymore. You consider that it was only in the last century that we actually even started creating anything in an electromagnetic scale yeah. that could be perceived. The yeah. Marconi radio, that's only, at this point, we're approaching 100 years. Yeah. Right? And that's just electromagnetic spectrum. Now, when you think about the way that we hunt planets now. Right. And we look for signs of life on planets. We gather the light, the reflected light off that planet from whatever the home star is. That's right. And then we go through and we analyze that light on, on spectrographically. Right. So we detect the chemicals and the compounds and the proportions between them and say, okay, well, it's got this much oxygen, this much carbon dioxide, and the, the planet is green in color. So it looks like there's evidence of green chlorophyll and photosynthesis and all that kind of stuff. So if you if you look at what our inf what information our planet has been reflecting off into space from our sun, right? All you know the last couple billion years of green plants and things producing oxygen and using carbon dioxide and, and methane production for living organisms that show up in in the chemical signature of the light reflected from our atmosphere, right? 
then we have been broadcasting to the universe that there's life on this planet for a couple of billion years. Sure, sure. And you have to assume that that's the level of technology or higher yeah. that they're going to be using. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of romantic for me to think, though, you know, that there could be some sort of transport ship passing near our solar system and, you know, they're sitting well, there one day and... You remember that uh, news story they had some months back where there was this thing, they couldn't decide if it was an asteroid or whatever, but it came into our solar system from an angle that nothing should come into our solar system. It orbited for a little while and then it left. Right, Matter yeah. In fact, it was such a big story that uh, Stephen Hawking, before he passed away, was rumored to be part of a team that was trying to figure out what it was. But it's already left the solar system. It was like a, they figured it was like a, a, a giant object that was long and slender, but it came from the reaches of deep space, way off the plane of, of everything else that rotates around the sun. You know, actually, through, the, yeah. when you told me that, I had not heard that. Yeah. No. So, and, and when you told me that that it entered and it exited, in in at a totally random it, direction around and then just left. It did, again. Then it left. It, yeah. That bodes ill, actually, to me. That's yeah. like oh. But, there, the, but that that was actually a story some months back, and uh, they were literally trying to. And there was some speculation that well, might this thing be a spaceship or what? And there were actually scientists who said, you know "Don't what? know. They got no idea." We think it's probably a meteorite or a planetoid or something that's just kind of floating off in the random reaches of space and just just happened to, to, to come to our solar system from way out yonder someplace and it, it just passed through and then went along this merry way, which it more than likely probably is. But then, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that it just kind of makes you think, of, well, what, what else could come along? Space trucker. Yeah. Yeah. He'd right. come rolling his rig through. He was, yeah. he was carrying some... You know, Hintari gems to, uh, yeah. so you know, industrial site, and he, he picked up something on his radio and says, "This is our shot, and we'll paint any UFO for ninety nine ninety nine. You know, oh, you turn, <laughs> and he he pulls in and says, "Hey, right. there's people, there's things there's people. on this planet. Yeah. I might have report that to the Intergalactic Highway Patrol." That's right. <laughs> for whatever you know, whatever yeah. that bodes. Yeah. 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 You know, have no idea. Wow. Yeah. See, you just told me something. Wow. Yeah. Maybe when we, when we get back, just Google that. And cause I will. Because I, I, I saw Hawking's name dropped on that in, in mm. what seemed to be legitimate news stories about that. So, yeah. But, um. Yeah. How are we doing on time? Oh, we're fine. Okay. I just, you know, uh, I just, I don't know. I, the UFO question to me. Is this? I think that if we we've got to be as a researcher, first off, you've got to be skeptical. Yeah. People don't want to be skeptical. People don't want to, you know, because for a lot of people, this is a social function. Yeah. I'm I'm out there, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Yeah. You know, you don't want to go and make a person feel worse, especially if the person, you know, say they are being honest, yeah. and they really did in their mind think they saw something. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to hop on board and stomp somebody and say, you know, I'm sorry, but this just doesn't, this just doesn't logically add up. Mm-hmm. So story after story gets reprinted. And, you know, there's a part of me that's all about the campfire. Mm-hmm. And that's okay to me. I like, you know, I like hearing the stories as much as anybody else. I mean, I think it adds romance and mystery yeah. to an otherwise fairly mundane existence sometimes. 
But when you really scientifically sit down and look at the possibility, I think that there's lots, lots, lots more evidence of the interdimensionality. Mm-hmm. See, people misperceive interdimensionality. I think they think that when you're this interdimension, they, they immediately hop in kind of like a spirit realm sort of idea. Mm-hmm. But if your science is advanced enough, mm-hmm. you know, I, I remember the movie Dune. And they're talking about folding space. Yeah. Well, again, obviously you would have to have a level of technology millions of years advanced mm-hmm. from us. Yeah. But if you could take one point of a sheet of paper uh-huh. and fold the paper to another point and step through the hole yeah. to reach that other point, mm-hmm. scientifically there's nothing that can disprove that this isn't possible. That's right. Because one... one th- when you study, there's, as we've been kind of wandering all over the place during the show, if you've probably noticed, the UFO subject in, in general is so large and it encompasses so many different facets that uh, one of the things you have to be careful is not to get caught up in the mindset of popular considerations of what's going on um, and, and the attitudes of, of if there are aliens, what, what might they be like. And, right. And... and the limitations of technology because I think there are people who just can't seem to grasp the idea that we may be wrong about how the universe works. Right. They think we understand it all. They think that, well, you know, this genius named Einstein said, you know, uh, the speed of light is a constant in the universe and we'll never exceed it, blah, blah, blah. That may not be correct. Right. Uh, he may be wrong about some things and right about others. Uh, I have my own feelings that there are tremendous gaps in our knowledge about how electromagnetism and gravity and things like that work. Um, and there are also popular perceptions about the nature of aliens and what would happen and what would they be like if they came here. Carl Sagan was a very popular person back in the 60s, 70s, 80s and right. beyond as a quote-unquote popularizer of science. I was not a Carl Sagan fan, and still am not, because he said a lot of things that were just plain stupid. Right. One of them, one of the dumber ones that he was said that, that any technologically advanced race would, by definition, have to be advanced morally. <laughs> that that if, if they were so far advanced to be able to reach us by spaceships or whatever, then they would have to be so morally advanced that they were just that would be like literally saint-like that they would have left behind all of the uh, species problems that the humans have like being warlike and murderous and things like that and just being out for it's their own game and there is no evidence to support that at all as a matter of fact the only civilization we're familiar with is our own and over the last know, hundreds of thousands of years of, of human development and advances in technology, human nature has not changed one iota. No. If anything, our advances in technology has just simply made it easier to express our na- our human nature in both positive and negative ways. We're, we've become very much more dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. So just because there's a civilization out there that might be able to reach across the expanses of space and come here, there's no way to say that they're going to be coming with uh, 
solutions to all the problems of the human race and just literally be intergalactic saints. They could very well be a warlike race who comes here and just is interested in our resources. Yeah, and in fact, I think, to be honest with you, uh, probability dictates. I, I think that scenario would be much more likely than yes. the Star Trek one. Yes, I think, uh, you know, Star Trek is is lots of uh, hopeful thinking. Yeah. You know, we, you know, it, all of this space opera stuff that they put on TV, yeah. I enjoy it, the effects are nice, but you have to be realistic about the fact uh-huh. that if we ourselves become a space-faring race, uh-huh. we're going to carry all of the baggage of our evolution with us. Yeah. And while you and I may go out as, you know, oh, we're the noble Steve Hyde, Patrick Aiken yeah. journey to, you know, we're going to go shake hands, peace, gentle being. Yeah. You know, but there may be some guy on another continent yeah. whose idea is, you know, hey, I go out there, I'm going to be the new uh, Cortez. Yeah. And I'm going to go out, and I'm going to be a millionaire, yeah. and I'm going to exploit these clowns. Yeah. Because, you know, if uh, we, we can go planet to planet now. We can go star yeah. to star. Yeah. They can't beat us. Yeah. He, he, and that's the thing is if you have a group of aliens that literally can travel star to star yeah. through technological, we're like ants to them. Yeah. We're ants. We're insects. It's like they would land and see us as a nuisance. Yeah. In between whatever they wanted to extract from our, uh, yeah. They, know. Could, they could, I mean, a spaceship could show up tomorrow, and we would look at it, and honestly, we would have no reason to know whether those people would be benevolent space beings that that reason and rationalize like we do, or the the spaceship could show up that could have occupants that are absolute monsters. Yeah. In 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 every every human notion of the word. Yeah. And we would have no idea which one to show up. You know, if you go back to the day the Earth stood still, we, we talked about that yeah. earlier. We mentioned it anyway. I did. And always, because, you know, when you're creating a movie or a show, a television show, there's a plot. People, people are not going to, to tune in at least more than one time to a movie where the aliens land and they enslave us and they yeah. strip mine our planet bare. Yeah. And eat all the dolphins. Yeah. It's one show. This is what the aliens did. Guess what? We lost. Yeah. You know. Life sucks. Life sucks. <laughs> Sorry, but we're extinct now. Yeah. And they've got a couple that they're keeping for the big zoo at the Galactic Empire. But yeah. otherwise, we're gone. You know, people tune in and they want this drama. They want, you know, oh, he, you know, Klaatu Barada Necto or whatever. And he walks out in the nervous bad army guy shoots yeah. the alien, right? So yeah. then we have a whole plot now. Yeah. The big robot, you know, he's going to save him and he's going to... Yeah. Look, you know, we have absolutely no idea. Yeah. These things might land and look like big alien brains. Yeah. There's nothing that precludes the possibility, yeah. you know. They may look at us as nothing more than scientific curiosities, food items, and resources. That's it. Yeah. And so, oh, you know, we're just now ourselves. Yeah. I mean, you consider some of the, the sea life out yeah. there that have huge brains. Yeah. You know, humpback whales, for instance, mm-hmm. you've got a brain like this table. Yeah. And have demonstrated, uh, uh, you know, an ability to cogitate. Mm-hmm. 
think about stuff. Uh, I read an article earlier this week where a lady uh, was out, you know, diving. I think she was off of Hawaii or somewhere. And she she was uh, in proximity to one of these whales. The whale kept putting her under his fin or putting her on the fin and lifting her out of the water. Mm-hmm. And she couldn't figure out. She, in fact, I think she got scared because the whale would take and bring his eye right up next to her. Mm-hmm. And it's like he was all around her guiding and shepherding her. What she finds out later, though, is on the other side of the well Uh. is like a 15-foot tiger shark. Mm. And the entire time, the well had been hiding her Uh, from the shark. shark, Which, to me, tells me, okay, we've got some thought process going on inside Mm. the well. The well's not a bad dude. The well's trying to help the little pink pale looking thing that's yeah. swimming there next to it but we can't assume that the alien that lands yeah is going to be benef- beneficial or beneficent yeah. towards us yeah i don't know yeah we kind of ramble but i don't yeah. care you know that's the point of this is to get people to think and to look beyond themselves yeah you know because th- there are many stories of abductions and stuff they all they they don't all or they shouldn't all necessarily you know, end with little gray aliens sodomizing people. I mean, yeah. that's that's a real downer. If that's yeah. the aliens traveled all that way to do that to yeah. me, I mean, come on, how much how much information can you uh, glean from uh, a colon? Yeah, really. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I mean, you know, okay, well, we know what it does now. Yeah. But you know, yeah. a lot of times I think these things just hit the media simply for the fact that people want to uh, ridicule. Yeah. You know, a lot of the other things, like the Pascagoula incident, mm-hmm. in a way, according to you know our, our train of thought for this program, it makes a lot more sense that they'd send a robot. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, who but knows? It is, but it's, you can really stretch your mind, though, thinking about, about when you talk about time and distance, you know, uh, those robots or whatever they were that landed at Pascagoula, allegedly. Uh, if they came from a civilization that they they had left so long ago that it may not even be there anymore. Right. I had I had thought one time about writing a science fiction story when it's back in the days when I thought about being a writer about uh, a spacecraft who lands on Earth and it's from beings who had been in space for so long that they had long since lost contact with their civilization and they were they were on some great fact finding to, to find another civilization but. The problem was they had reason to believe that their own civilization had like gone extinct, mm-hmm. because, but because they were robotic or they were engineered to be, you know, live for an extremely long time, they had reached the point where they just their mission had no meaning. I mean, they didn't they didn't know what to do. They were just kind of there. You know, and I'll leave this on this uh, note. They were talking about science fiction stories. Yeah. There was a writer named Poole Anderson. Remember him? Paul Anderson, yeah. Yep. And uh, it was a short story. But the, the buildup of the short story is there was a big craft mm-hmm. coming to orbit over our planet. Yeah. And, uh, and I believe it was set in the United States. They they arranged by, you know, telecommunication that we're going to land this at this place. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was someplace like in front of the White House or you know, some prominent location. Yeah. So there, you know, the spacecraft comes down and 
lands. And of course, you know, the human beings on Earth, they've got tanks and, you know, they're just absolutely surrounded by any kind of armament they have. And uh, the door slides open and a ramp comes down and a guy comes walking out and he's in a top hat and coat and tail, you know, tails. Uh And walks down, he's obviously human in appearance. Uh And... The president, you know, they, they meet on the ramp and he's like, you know, you know, welcome to Earth and, you know, what? And he says, oh, he said, obviously there's been a mistake. And that's what? He said, you know, he, he, leans, he basically leans with us, you know, you guys have been out of contact. And he said, you guys are a colony. He says, we're just coming back, you know, to uh, reestablish the uh, embassy here. But you're all part of us. <laughs> so you're not, you know, you're, you're not a unique species at all. Yeah. We just like, it's like, you know, going back to the Roanoke colony or someplace. Yeah. It's like, you know, hey guys, I mean, I know you were here for a long time, but yeah. you're you're part of the greater empire. And yeah. Yeah. We're gonna be moving in, and yeah. I don't want to alarm you, but. Yeah. This is ours. <laughs> so, on that note, thank you for listening. And uh, you know what? Uh, I'm just going to echo that sentiment from the 1950s, which is watch the skies. Watch the skies. Bye. Goodbye, interwebs.